Well, hello, everyone. Um, so glad you could join us. So thankful for this opportunity to preach to you this morning. Um, a heartfelt thanks to the leadership team and to Pastor Brett. Um, Brett did a, a good job, probably a nicer job than he should have, of introducing me. So um, I won't <clears throat> introduce myself too much, but um, I love this church. I love serving here. Um, and my wife, and I uh, have four children. Uh, we've been, um, we've got an age range from eight down to seven months. So, like Brett said, to ease any tension, if your kids start making noise or stuff like that, like any of you know my kids, you know noise is something that's just part of regular life. So you're not gonna, it's nothing's gonna be a distraction. It's actually a beautiful um, blessing to hear, hear the voices of of children. Um, we wanna, we wanna church um, full of all generations. Um, and Brett was really encouraging uh, to me. Um, before the service started, he, uh, he just told me, uh, don't make me regret this. So that was nice of him, but no, he didn't say that. You guys know Brett better. Actually, maybe he would have said that. I don't know. But uh, no, he did not. But um, enough about me. I want to just get into the word. Let's, let's get into the word. And so at, at this point, I would like to invite Shelby up to read our passage this morning. If you are able, I'd ask that you please stand for the reading of God's word. morning. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed, and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching. With faith and love in Christ Jesus, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Um, before we get started, let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. You can all have a seat. Um, <clears throat> Lord, we just ask uh, this morning um, that you would help us, um, that you would illuminate your word to us. God, um, we are just so unworthy of you, of your love and your grace that you poured out on us in Christ Jesus. We are so thankful. Um, God, let us focus on you this morning. Let uh, the truth of your scripture ring true in our hearts. Um, God, let us not just take what we learn here and compartmentalize it into just this service. God, let us be equipped for the ministry of the gospel in the world. Um, God, let us hold tight to your teaching, hold fast to sound teaching. Um, God, let us stand guard over the good deposit of the gospel. God, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So thank you, Shelby, for reading. Um, I had a reading starting from 9 to give a little context um, to this. Um, and as we continue through this series, through First and Second Timothy, <clears throat> it may be helpful just to briefly uh, remind you of the context. Tim, Paul has left his young protege, Timothy, to lead the church in Ephesus. 
in this letter, uh, Paul is currently in prison and he will soon be martyred uh, for his faith. Paul has an acute awareness that his life is coming to an end. And as we can see in this letter, we see basically, essentially, Paul's last words um, as he would um, see it as well. Pastor Brandon, Pastor Brett, and Pastor Adam have skillfully and faithfully unpacked the text of Scripture so far of this letter. And I am just trusting the Holy Spirit uh, to make sure that I do not fumble the ball this morning. Brett, that's the only sports reference you're getting. Um, and as we come upon these verses, we see that Paul is giving Timothy what's called um, an imperative. Okay, So by that, I mean he is telling Timothy to do something. Since we believe that God intended for these letters to be useful and profitable for all believers in all, every time, we will see that this is also an imperative for us. In other words, God is also telling us to do something. And, and I bring this up to say there's an important balance at play here in Paul's writing, and this is a common pattern in the scriptures, especially in the epistles of the New Testament, the letters of the New Testament. And that is of a biblical indicative and a biblical imperative. Now, the grammar nerds are going to love this bit here, okay? But stick with me. An indicative in the Bible indicates uh, or tells us a truth about what God has done, is doing, or will do. And a biblical imperative is what we're to do in response to the truth about God. Now, now this is important for us to remember. These two go hand in hand. Our actions and obedience are done in response to the amazing things God has already done is currently doing or promises to do. On this, Brian Chappell says that, um, quote, the human instinct with every non-Christian religion reverses the order, teaching that who we are before God is based on what we do for God. He goes on to say what Christians do is based on who we are in Christ. We obey because God has loved us and united us to himself by his son. We are not united to God, nor do we make him love us because we have obeyed him. Our obedience is a response to his love, not a purchase of it. So with this in mind, one more time, let's look through 9 through 12. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel, I was appointed a herald, apostle, and teacher, and that is why I suffer these things. But I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. The Lord is the one doing the saving and the calling. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one abolishing death and bringing life and immortality through the gospel. Again, we see God is the one doing the appointing of Paul as herald, apostle, and teacher. And why is Paul not ashamed even when he suffers? Because he knows his God and rests in the fact that it is God who will guard what has been entrusted to him. So here we are in verse 13, after Paul reminds Timothy of all what the Lord has done and continues to do, he gives a command to Timothy on what Timothy should now do. And it's important to know, even here, the Apostle Paul's not calling for Timothy to operate in his own power. That would be a foolish and fruitless endeavor. Paul knows that it is God who supplies, empowers, and spurs on the believer in Christ to work for the Lord's purposes. 
This passage is no different as we will see. I'll read it one more time. Hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you have heard from us, or that you have heard from me, in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Paul tells Timothy to hold on. Some translations say retain, others say follow, but I just love the old KJV rendering of this, to hold fast. He tells Timothy to hold fast, to hold on, to take position, to never let go. And what is Timothy to hold on to? To the pattern of sound teaching that Timothy has heard from the Apostle Paul. And, and it's interesting here, Paul doesn't say just hold on to sound teaching. He tells him to hold on to a pattern of sound teaching. And, and so what, what is this pattern of sound teaching? And one, one commentator words it this way. Paul does not have in mind some arbitrary selection of unrelated facts, but a saving and life-transforming body of doctrine. Paul is exhorting Timothy to make sure he holds to beliefs that are true. These are not doctrines that Paul somehow developed by his own wisdom. No, no, as Brett pointed out last week, Paul is operating as an apostle of Jesus Christ, commissioned by Jesus Christ himself. Remember, at the beginning of this letter, Paul writes, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus. This is to remind people, to remind Timothy, to remind who will ever, ever will read this letter, who's really in charge. Not Paul, God. Paul's teachings on the gospel of Jesus Christ and on the truth of God's word come from God. Now, when writing about this pattern of sound teaching, the Apostle Paul, he's without a doubt talking about the gospel, but he, of course, would encompass, encompass the whole of Scripture in this pattern of doctrine to which he's referring. As we know, God um, reveals to us not only, God's word reveals to us not only who he is, but also his plan of redemption. The unfolding of God's redemptive story culminates in Jesus Christ. All of Scripture points to the person and work of Jesus Christ, and therefore all of Scripture is valuable to the Christian to hold on to for sound doctrine and beliefs. Later in this letter, Paul writes to Timothy, And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So Paul would not be appealing to any teaching in our passage that's contrary to Scripture, nor would he be divorcing the gospel of Jesus Christ from the full counsel of God's word when he tells Timothy to hold to that pattern of sound teaching. The apostle is speaking about the testimony of the Scriptures, what he was taught directly from the risen Jesus Christ himself, and then also what... Other apostles taught him, which they were also taught by Jesus Christ himself. This is what he has passed on to Timothy. <clears throat> and he's passed on a sound teaching. Now, the Greek expression here that is rendered sound, it, it means healthy. Uh, sound teaching should be uncorrupted and whole. There are many unhealthy and diseased teachings out there that claim to be biblical but contain a rot within them. There have always been false teachers and corruptors of the truth lurking in the church, and there always will be until Christ returns in glory. That is why healthy teaching must be clung to and diseased 
corrupted teaching must be avoided. And for a teaching to be sound and healthy, uh, it must be true, right? Um, as Christians, we are greatly concerned with the truth. Amen? Because it does not matter how much we talk of God's love or the salvation we have in Jesus Christ or how good our gospel is if it isn't true. Truth is of the utmost importance. It is from the truth of the empty tomb that we have confidence in our faith in Christ. It is the truth of God's word from which we draw our convictions. And strong convictions come from a strong relationship to God's word. When Jesus <clears throat> prays to the Father in John 17 for his disciples, which this is often called the high priestly prayer here, Jesus says this, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. God's word is truth. We have that word revealed in his scriptures. This is our standard. The scriptures are sufficient to act as the infallible rule of faith and practice in the life of the church because of their truth and authority. The longest psalm in the book of Psalms is Psalm 119. And do you know what the central theme is in that psalm? It's delighting in God's word and the truth of God's word. Here's just a few uh, passages from that. I have treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. How I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I opened my mouth wide and panted, for I longed for your commandments. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments is everlasting. Are, are we treasuring God's word and his commandments? Do we long for it and love it like the psalmist? Does it guide us and sustain us? These are important questions to reflect upon. And now sound teaching drawn from the truth of God's word is actually going to strengthen the believer against assaults on our faith. We as the church will better recognize twisted and corrupted truth when we test them by God's word. And the culture, you'll see the culture, and it's doing it now and it always has. The culture will use words or phrases that are commonplace in the body of Christ that we use a lot. Words like love or justice. Yet the way the culture or a certain ideologies um, defines those terms are actually contrary to the biblical definition of these words. And how would you know the difference? By testing the world's definition by scripture's definition. And God, or and Paul tells Timothy um, to stand guard. We're not finished with verse 13. Um, we'll come back to that. But I want to move on to verse 14, and we'll come back to those, okay? So, uh, but not only does Paul tell Timothy to hold on, he tells him to guard. To guard the good deposit that has been entrusted to him. To be stalwart and vigilant. Don't fall asleep on the ramparts, Timothy. Don't flee from your post at the uh, sign of first trouble. There's something of great value here, Timothy, of which you stand watch over. Something that is worth laying down your life to protect. And just like Timothy in his time, the body of Christ... We still have many reasons to be diligent and steadfast and not become too lax in our position. We live in a world that, by nature, is hostile in mind towards Jesus Christ. There are dangers from within the church. We have an adversary, that is, Satan, who desires nothing more to steal, kill, and destroy. And on top of that, believers still battle their own sinful flesh. We are not free from sin and will not completely be until we die and are raised in our glorified state. 
Again, we have many reasons to stay in guard. And Timothy is told to guard the good deposit. What, what is the deposit Paul speaks of, and why is it good? Well, it's the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the heart of the entirety of Scripture. And it is good because it addresses our biggest problem as humans. That problem is that God is holy and just, and we are not. All humanity acts in disobedient rebellion against God and his commands. Therefore, we have incurred the consequence of physical, spiritual, and eternal death and punishment. We are condemned as sinners and worthy of God's judgment. At the end of your life, you and I, as individuals, we will stand before this holy and just God and be judged. And you will be judged on your standing your right standing before God. Since God is holy and just, so is his standard because he is the standard. That standard of righteousness is holy perfection. And not a single person on this earth has ever lived in perfect obedience to God without sinning, except one. That is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, eternally existing, came to earth, took on human flesh, fully God and fully man in nature. He lived a sinless life to qualify himself as the perfect sacrifice. He was crucified, he died, and was buried and rose bodily from the dead on the third day. He ascended to heaven. He is currently seated at the right hand of God the Father. He perpetually intercedes for his people and will return one day in glory to judge the living and the dead. His death served as a substitutionary sacrifice to satisfy God's holy wrath and act as payment for man's sin. And his resurrection served to establish his lordship and to impart his life-giving righteousness unto all who confess and believe on the name of Jesus Christ. Why the good news is so good is that all who believe in the person and work of Jesus Christ to save them from their sins and surrender to him as Lord, will be saved. And now, when they stand before God to be judged, it will be based on the righteousness of another, that is Jesus Christ. They have had their sins forgiven. They have been given Christ's righteousness. They have been made a new creation. They have been adopted by God. They receive the gift and seal of the Holy Spirit within them. And they have been united with Christ and all other believers. And they will one day live in glorious eternity with the Lord as co-heirs with Christ. This is truly good news. Amen? This is the good deposit that Timothy is to guard. And for those of you who don't have this gospel, it's not a reality for you. You haven't. Um, given your life to Christ, you haven't trusted in him to save you from your sins. He's the only one who can. You haven't trusted in him to be your righteousness before God. You haven't bowed the knee to Jesus as Lord of your lives. I would implore you to do so uh, today. Now, we've seen so far in this first chapter that we are to actively spread the gospel, as we see in the witness of the Apostle Paul and in Timothy's grandmother, Lois, and Mother Eunice. We've seen we should expect suffering uh, for the gospel, and so we should endure it bravely. 
And now we see that we are to faithfully guard the gospel. We're to keep it pure and preserved. It must, be not, it must not be altered or added to or subtracted from. And just a reminder again here, for the believer, for those in Christ, the deposit of your life is secure in Christ, okay? We're not talking about a guarding of your own salvation here um, so that you don't lose it. No, no, Jesus is the one who saves and he is the one who preserves you can't save yourself, and you certainly don't maintain your salvation. So let's just um, be clear on that and rest in that as believers. This is talking about the guarding of the integrity and the truth of the gospel. And so now back to 13 and 14, how are we to do this? Um, Paul is not concerned, not just concerned that Timothy, that Timothy holds to a standard of sound teaching, but how Timothy goes about holding to that sound uh, teaching. He is to hold it in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Timothy does need to be courageous and unashamed for the sake of the truth and the gospel, but he is to do this in faith and love. This is a faith and love that comes from being in Christ. Christ is the source and the beginning of this faith and love. John Gill writes that these two graces always go together and they have Christ as their object. Okay, so faith in and of itself is not the object, okay? Sometimes you will hear pseudo-religious teachings that say, just have faith, just have faith. But in what? In whom? That, that's what matters. The faith itself has no value if the object of the faith is worthless. Christ is the object of our faith. Not only that, he is the founder and perfecter of our faith. Hebrews 12 says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Christ is the focal point of our faith. He is the one in whom we place our faith, and our faith is strong because of him, because he is worthy. Timothy's faith uh, would draw... Um, Timothy's uh, faith would draw his focus continually to Jesus Christ. And the love that flowed from his relationship with Christ would direct his work. He would present the truth in love, a genuine love, that would be brought about by his union with Christ. Ephesians 4 said, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, that is, Christ. Uh, John MacArthur puts it like this, although we must not have a doubting or a dead orthodoxy, neither should we have a loveless, cold, and insensitive orthodoxy. The Apostle Paul is also concerned with how Timothy guards the good deposit. And how does Paul instruct Timothy to guard the good deposit? Through the Holy Spirit, who lives within Timothy. Praise God that we do not have to guard the gospel by our own power. We are so weak. We are so prone to wander. But God has given us his spirit to dwell within us, to help us in our weakness. We have this great promise from our Lord Jesus Christ in the book of John, where Jesus talks of sending the Holy Spirit to help us and indwell in us. Jesus says here, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper so that he may be with you forever. The helper is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he remains with you and will be in you. What mortal 
could hope to guard the gospel treasure by himself, only by the help of the helper, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit of God. And I, I believe this is the confidence um, Paul draws upon back in verse 12. But I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to guard uh, what has been entrusted to me until that day. This is amazing encouragement here. Ultimately, it is God himself who preserves the gospel. Listen to this quote uh, from John Stott on the matter. Do not be afraid. God will never allow the light of the gospel to be finally extinguished. True, he has committed it to us, frail and fallible creatures. He has placed his treasure in brittle earthenware vessels. And we must play our part in guarding and defending the truth. Nevertheless, in entrusting the deposit to our hands, he has not taken his own hands off it. God is the final keeper of his gospel. God will preserve that which he has committed to his church. We're going to take a journey back into church history. I love church history. Um, we're going to take a, a journey back into the early days of the church. These were prime examples of Christians who relied on Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit to hold fast to God's word and stand guard over the true gospel. In the first three centuries of the Christian church, uh, believers faced persecution. And, and persecution, while it did come from emperors themselves, such as Nero, Nero or Domitian, um, a lot of times it came from the governors of the empire's provinces and from just a general popular hatred of the Christians. Now, Rome at that time, as an empire, was actually fairly tolerant in religious matters. But if they felt a religion was a threat to the public or to uh, po political stability, they would suppress it. So for such a religiously tolerant empire, why was Christianity seen as a threat? And there are many accusations that were brought against Christians, but there were two predominant reasons Christians were seen as a threat by Roman emperors, governors, and those in the general populace. The first is that a Christian made exclusive truth claims. See, Rome practiced what was called uh, syncretism, which that's just a big $4 word for saying they blended religions and they made no claim to have the one and only truth. But Christians claimed to have the only true faith and the only way to salvation. And this was a problem for the Roman Empire. And you may say, well, you know, the Jewish people, they were allowed to live in the Roman Empire and kind of seen as an accepted religion in there. It's like, and yes, uh, but Rome tolerated the Jews because they saw them as just following um, the tradition of their national heritage. And Rome recognized that Jews were not really, really actively trying to convert people to Judaism. Quoting Needham on his um, book on church history, said, the Christians had no such excuses. Their religion was new, unheard of, and burning with a passion to convert all pagans. So the church's exclusive, intolerant, missionary attitude to other religions marked Christians out and made them very unpopular. And then the second reason uh, Christians were seen as a threat is that they refused to worship the emperor. Worshiping the emperor as a god was a mark of loyalty to the empire. And a common practice was to worship the statue of an emperor by placing a pinch of incense on the altar and proclaiming, Caesar is Lord. And this would be a proclamation meaning that to make Caesar out to be a divine god. To the faithful follower of, but the faithful follower of Christ would refuse. Why? Because only Jesus is Lord. This refusal was a serious offense and marked one as a traitor of the state. 
And this often led to Christians being ostracized from um, society, imprisoned, beaten, crucified, burned at the stake, thrown to the lions, and all kinds of other depraved forms of punishment and execution. One of these Christians um, whom I love is a man by the name of Polycarp. Yes, that was his name, Polycarp, okay? So Polycarp was a pastor in Smyrna, is a city within the Roman Empire, and history tells us that that, uh, Polycarp of Smyrna was uh, um, actually discipled by the Apostle John. Now, around AD 160, Polycarp was arrested and brought to trial for the very reasons I explained why Christians were seen as a threat. And the governor of, the, of that province who presided over Polycarp's trial uh, tried to persuade him to worship the em- emperor, to which he refused. And the governor ordered to him, him to denounce his fellow Christians. And again, Polycarp did not comply. Next, the governor offered him his freedom if he would just merely swear, swear by the emperor and curse Christ. And Polycarp responded with this by saying, For 86 years I have served him, and he has done me no evil. How could I curse my king who saved me? And this dialogue continued until eventually the governor knew he was getting nowhere and ordered Polycarp to be burned at the stake. So when they tied Polycarp up um, before the fire was lit, he had this to say out loud. We've had this recorded from us by eyewitnesses, and it's in um, our church history. And he said this, Polycarp said this, Father of your beloved and blessed son, Jesus Christ, through whom we have received the knowledge of you, I bless you that you have counted me worthy of this day and hour, that I might be in the number of the martyrs. Among these, may I be received before you today in a rich and acceptable sacrifice, as you have beforehand prepared and revealed. Wherefore, I also praise you also for everything. I bless you, I glorify you, through the eternal high priest, Jesus Christ, your beloved Son, through through whom, with him, in the Holy Spirit, Be glory unto you, both now and for the ages to come. Amen. And after this, they lit the fire. Polycarp held fast to sound teaching and guarded the integrity of the gospel to his death. He did not compromise even in the face of a horrific execution. How? How did he do this? How was he able to? By Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. How do missionaries stay in the Congo for 20 years? by Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is not so the person will be glorified, so that Polycarp would be glorified, or um, that um, any of our missionaries would be glorified, or those who suffered on behalf of the um, cross would be glorified, and so that God would be glorified, and the witness of Christ Jesus would spread. So as we begin to wrap up, um, I'll just challenge you with a couple things here. First, how does one go about holding to the pattern of sound teaching? Well, we need to cherish God's word and God's people. I use the word cherish because I believe we hold tightly onto what we cherish. God has given us his word and his people to help instill in us a pattern of sound teaching. And it is by relying on Christ that we will hold to this in faith and in love. So to cherish God's word and God's people, we need to be in God's word regularly. We have a modern setting now where we have more access to biblical resources more than any other age in the church. And it is a blessing. That is for sure. There are so many free resources as well. Um, Praise God for these gifts. But this is by no means a replacement for your daily time in the scriptures. You need to be in the Bible daily. 
This means more than just passively reading your verse of the day from the Bible app as you just kind of head out the door, okay? And one of my favorite quotes from the 19th century English preacher Charles Spurgeon said, um, is, visit many good books, but live in the Bible. And this amazing thing happens for believers. The more you read your Bible, study your Bible, and meditate on what you read, read the more you're going to cherish God's word. The Lord works through his word and through the Holy Spirit within you to illuminate the scriptures to your heart and mind and to change you, to renew your mind, to strengthen your convictions, to grow your faith, to humble your pride, to bring about greater worship, to guard you against error and deception, to cultivate your love for God and for others, all to the glory of his name and for the increase of his kingdom. Next, we need, we need to sit under godly teaching. Again, in a time we live, we have so much access to sermons on YouTube and podcasts, and I think the radio still exists, so there's probably some sermons on that too. Um, it's a dud of a joke. Uh, I, <laughs> but um, we have all this access um, to godly teaching, and I love all those. I benefit greatly from them. Um, but all those resources are meant to be, just like the other ones, supplemental, not a substitution for sitting under the leadership of humble and faithful pastors and elders. I, I praise the Lord, and I'm sure you do too, that we have humble and faithful leadership here at FBN. Um, it is a joy for me to be under um, and sit under um, the pastors and elders that we have and under their leadership. Um, it's such a blessing here. And here's the big difference also to just listening to sermons online or whatever. Um, not only do having actual pastors and elders, do they preach and teach the truth of God's word, um, but these are leaders who actually know you. They know your families. They are physically present. They can listen to you and speak specifically to you. They can be by your side in your hospital bed. They can sit with you in your living room as you mourn over the loss of a loved one. They can preside over your marriage. They can hold your new baby. They can mentor and shepherd you when the world or your own sinfulness is just tearing you down. Ephesians 4 says this, And it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for works of ministry and to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God as we mature to the full measure of the stature of Christ. In his design for his people, the Lord uses faithful pastors, elders, ministry leaders, etc., um, to impart to us sound teaching, just as Paul did to Timothy, to equip the saints. And by the way, I hope you should know that means all Christians, all right? Saints is not, we do not designate that as a status for some super Christians. Uh, all saints, all Christians are to be equipped for ministry. Yes, you are called to do ministry. That means to serve, okay? Um, we are called to serve. To equip the saints for ministry and to build up the body of Christ, which leads me to my next point, be an active part of a local church. I was careful to say active, because some may say, well, I'm here, aren't I? But are you belonging to your church? Your local church is not a social club that you come to once a week, you get your fill of Jesus, you pay your dues, and then you head out to lunch. Where time spent worshiping or fellowshipping with other believers is just something you could take or leave where you don't want to get involved serving in any ministry um, because, you know, you, you work all week and you're tired. Where if someone says something that slightly rubs you the wrong way, you can just pick up and head to another church down the road. There's plenty of them. Brothers and sisters, let this not be so. 
God has placed believers in our lives to help equip us for the Lord's work, to build us up to spiritual maturity, and to dis- uh, disciple us in order to grow in faith and the knowledge of Christ. Hebrews 10 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Philippians 2 says, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection, and if any affection and um, compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility consider one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. This is our call to being a part of a local assembly of believers, which we call a church. Do you go into your Lord's Day worship services or your discipleship groups or your Sunday schools or serving in the nursery or serving in kids' time with the mindset described in Hebrews and Philippians towards your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? Or is this just something we do out of habit? I pray that is not the case. And again, if you're wanting to serve and you don't know where you belong, talk to the pastors and elders. There are plenty of opportunities here for you to plug in and to serve. And and last thing within this point, too, uh, don't, parents, don't be passive about discipling your children, thinking that their spiritual teaching is all taken care of when they're at church. Listen, we have amazing teachers for FBN Tots. Matt and his wife, Sarah, do a fantastic job of teaching our FBN Kids Ministry Uh, Pastor Brandon and his wife Grace have been faithfully putting their hands to the plow for years uh, with the middle school and high school ministries here. But all of them only see your kids for a couple hours a week. The lion's share of discipling falls to you. Listen, if you don't want to disciple them, the world will. They're going to be discipled. Your home is your first mission field, parents. May God bless the fathers and mothers who take this call seriously. You know, while Joshua is is giving his farewell address to the Israelites at the end of the book of Joshua, he says this, But if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourself today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were uh, beyond the Euphrates River, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I pray that Christian parents would echo this in the way they raise their children. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As Timothy was called, so all followers of Christ have the call to preserve the gospel, to guard this good deposit. But how do we go about doing that? Well, we preserve the gospel. You preserve the gospel by reminding yourself of the gospel. You must continually renew your familiarity with the gospel you trust. Hebrews 2 says this, For this reason we must pay attention all the more to what we have heard so that we will not drift away. This imagery of drifting away, it it reminds me of me going to the beach as a kid. Uh, My parents would be on the shore. I would go into the water. My mom would tell me to stay where she could see me. And then I'd just begin to play and goof around, you know, um, just kind of mindlessly doing whatever. Um, And before I knew it, I'd hear my mom yelling my my name. But she seemed so much farther away than I remembered. And I look at the shore, I'd look at the shore, and I realize I had drifted much farther down the coast. I neglected to look to my parents on the shore as my fixed point. 
without me even noticing or realizing something was wrong, the ocean had subtly and slowly carried me down the shoreline. I needed a fixed point to show me where I needed to stay. In the same way, Christ and the truth of the gospel is our fixed point that keeps us from drifting. Remind yourself that when the world seems the most chaotic, the truth of the gospel is established as an unshaking, unbreakable rock that is the only solid foundation upon which someone can stand. Next, we preserve the, the gospel by defending the gospel. Timothy and Paul encountered many threats to the message they proclaimed. There were those who wished to corrupt the gospel by adding to it or taking away from it. And this is nothing new today. And let me remind you and remind myself that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. As Ephesians 6, 12 says, and as 1 Peter 3, 15 says, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. In 2 Corinthians it says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. See, we are to defend the gospel. We are to give a reason, a defense of the gospel. We are to tear down arguments and opinions contrary to the truth. But we're to do this with gentleness and respect. And by doing this, we honor Christ and we obey him. And this is also with the hope of winning others to Christ by his grace and power. Let me say this another way. We destroy arguments to win the person. We don't destroy the person to win the argument. You see where the focus is different in that mindset. And for those called into vocational ministry, this is especially the case to defend the gospel. The French reformer John Calvin wrote, The pastor ought to have two voices, one for gathering the sheep and another for warding off and driving away wolves and thieves. The scripture supplies him with the means of doing both. Church, could we please be in regular prayer for our pastors and elders that they would have strength to guard the gospel? Whose strength? Well, the passage tells us through the Holy Spirit who lives in them. Third, we preserve the gospel by sharing the gospel. I hope I'm not saying anything surprising when I say that all followers of Christ are called to share the gospel. You probably know where I'm going with this, what verse I'm going to. Uh, Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. God will accomplish his purposes. Amen? But our amazing God is not just a God of ends, but he is also a God of means. He uses his people to spread the gospel to glorify his name. The Lord Jesus Christ has given you a position in his church, and you do not get a pass on this. I should dare say that you should not want a pass anyways. The gospel is good news, isn't it? When someone has good news, do you have to pry it out of them? No, they just they tell it to you freely. And of all the good news in all the world, in all of history, the good news of Jesus Christ is the best news. Pastor Adam might have said the goodest news. So, but it is the best news. Uh, may, and maybe you're thinking with this, um, 
well, I know it's good news, but I just, I'm, wor- I'm just worried about being rejected if I tell someone the gospel. So I would graciously ask you if you're worried less about the gospel and more about the opinions of man. And if you examine yourself, and that's the case, I would gently and lovingly ask you to repent of that. Or maybe it's more along the lines of, I don't want to fail. You've seen how significant and important sharing the gospel is, and you just don't want to screw it up. You don't want to let Christ down. And that's admirable to a degree, but let this be an encouragement to you. If it was just up to you, you would fail. If it were just up to me, I would fail too. We are told in 1 Corinthians 3, 7 that it is only God who gives the growth. So if you're worried about failure in evangelism, let's do just a quick list of questions here. Did you share the full gospel? I mean the full gospel. You didn't take away part about sin or wrath or anything like that. You didn't shave it down to make it seem a little more palatable. But you shared the full and true gospel. Did you do that? Did you do this in love and in truth? You you, you did this in the love and truth that um, you want to glorify God and you want this person to come to know Jesus Christ. Did you do this in love and truth? And are you trusting God with the results? Then if you did all those things, you didn't fail. You did exactly what Christ called you to do. And doesn't that just give such freedom for us to obey? Isn't it wonderful that we don't have to be shackled down by fear of failure? We have the privilege to represent Christ to the world. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And we don't have to do this alone. We have the Holy Spirit to help us in our weakness. Beloved, we have a sound and healthy teaching in God's word. We have other believers to teach us and help us in our knowledge of the truth. We have a faith and love in Christ that will shape how we live. We have the Holy Spirit who lives within us. We can trust that God will not let his word fade away, for we're told the word of the Lord stands forever. So, with a gracious boldness, let us hold firmly to truths we believe and guard the integrity of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Let's pray. God, we just come before you humbled um, and uh, in awe of your goodness of your vastness of your holiness god of your wisdom and of your mercy and of your justice Um, god you are so much greater than we are and so it is remarkable beyond belief that you would personally sit condescend in the form of jesus christ um, to live die and raise again for the sake to glorify your name, but also for the salvation of those who would trust and believe in Jesus Christ. God, we have your word, your revealed word, and we're so thankful for it. God, let us hold to it, hold to the sound teaching that we get and cherish God's, your word, God, and your people. God, that we would preserve the gospel um, in our lives, that we would preserve it by reminding ourselves daily of it. God, that we would uh, preserve the gospel by defending it, um, God, and that we would preserve the gospel uh, by sharing it, God. We pray that you would be glorified in all of this, 
We pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.